Hi, I'm Shelley Cameron, CEO of the City of Philadelphia's Division of Aviation, and this is our podcast, Taking Off. To say that this past year has been a challenge would be an understatement. The impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the aviation industry has been absolutely devastating. As recovery efforts take off, we want to give you an inside peek of everything happening behind the scenes to help PHL recover quicker and to keep our customers, stakeholders, and Division of Aviation employees safe. In this episode, we're flipping the proverbial script and I'm passing the hosting mic for this episode, and I'm not so sure about this, be kind, Flo, for this episode to PHL Director of Communications, Flo Brown. Take it away. Thank you so much, Shelley. Under your leadership, PHL has been able to quickly adapt to the new normal and start the recovery process in some pretty unique ways. I really wanted to interview you on this first episode since the pandemic outbreak, so your listeners can hear about your background, your new roles, and your focus and vision for 2021, which combined are steering PHL to a safe and strong recovery. So to start this episode, I was really hoping to have you talk about your background, you know, just thinking through from college all the way to where you are now. I'd love to just hear your story. I think that my story and and a lot of things that have, have happened to me that have brought me to this point were sort of by accident. I'm, I'm not sure that I really would have seen myself in this role or even in aviation. When I think back to high school and growing up, I grew up in a really small town in southwestern Pennsylvania. My mom and dad were school teachers, so education was always super important. And whether I was going to college, it was where I was going to college. My mom and dad were actually the first to be college educated in their families. And and again, so that was a really big deal. I was really fortunate. I was able to go to the University of Notre Dame on an Air Force ROTC scholarship. And being in the Air Force, there were really two things that, that brought that about. The first was... I had all three ROTC scholarships coming out of high school. So Army, Navy, Air Force. And my mom said, well, you don't look good in green, so you can't go into the Army. Okay. And we did eeny, meeny, miny, mo between the Air Force and the Navy and the Air Force One. That was backed up by a gentleman that my dad taught school with. And my dad and this guy and, and one other teacher painted houses in the summertime. And so I joined them on the paint crew in the summertime to make extra money. And this one guy, Dave Bowman, was amazing. And he was in the Vietnam War and he was in the Air Force. And he told me that the Air Force knows how to take care of their people way better than the Army and the Navy. And he said, when he found out that I was was taking the Air Force ROTC scholarship, he said, yeah, you picked the right one. Absolutely the right one. So that's how I ended up in aviation. Finished college and and went into the Air Force for seven years. Lived in Alabama and Turkey and Washington, D.C., and then switched over to airports. So not something that I would have necessarily thought would have been my path, but it's been absolutely amazing. Really, from my first day on active duty was the first day of the first Gulf War. And, you know, really kind of crazy time. We hadn't been to war as a country for a long time. And it was um, it was a little frightening and you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't have a lot of people in my family who had spent time in the military. And so, you know, I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but I loved the Air Force, fell in love with aviation. And here I am. So I personally was raised on an Air Force base, so I love that we share some story there. Now, as you came out of the Air Force, what were your next steps? What were you thinking about? 
I was in Washington, D.C. when I exited the Air Force. I went to work for the Air Force as a civilian for about a year, but it was really tough making the transition from being an officer to being a civilian. You're treated very differently, even though I was doing a lot of the same things. I was a financial management person. You know, it just it just didn't feel the same. There, there's a there's saying that says that you can never go home again, and I kind of felt that that was very appropriate to the choice that I had made at the time. So I was working at Bowling Air Force Base in Washington, D.C. with a gentleman whose wife worked at Dulles Airport, Washington Dulles International Airport. And he came in one day and he said, you know, my wife works at Dulles. They have a management position in finance and budget that's coming open at the airport. Have you ever thought about that? And I said, no, naive me at the time. How hard could it be to go from the Air Force to a, a commercial aviation airport, right? Mm-hmm. They don't even own the airplane, so it can't be that hard. <laughs> it was a very, very different world. <laughs> but that's how I ended up making the transition to airports. I, I worked at MWA, Metropolit- the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority, for almost 13 years at both Washington Dulles and Reagan National Airports. And then almost 10 years ago, I came to Philly. Awesome. What a cool story coming all the way from Pennsylvania through your Air Force career um, and college and DC and coming all the way back to Pennsylvania. Here you are again. You know, funny story. I got the, I was offered the job in Philadelphia and I don't know about you, Flo, but I make a list. Okay. Here are the pros, here are the cons. Does this, does this make sense? I ended up taking a pay cut when I came to Philadelphia for the CFO position, but it was a promotion. It was a really great opportunity And, you know, so I was making that list and I called my mom and dad and they had since retired in Michigan. And I said, what do you think? What about Philadelphia? Because like that was the other side of the state when I was growing up. And my dad said, well, at least you got back to the right state finally. And (laughs) and that ended up going in the plus column. That was something that was a positive about the job. I absolutely love it here, though. I certainly wouldn't have stayed for 10 years if I didn't fall in love with this city and the airport and all of the potential that we have. Totally agree. And I feel the same way. So now that we've had a chance to look at your past, I wanted to take a look at your future, specifically your immediate future and some of the new exciting roles that you have starting here in 2021. So there are two of them. I was hoping you could just walk us through the two new exciting roles that you have coming up. It's not often that two things happen at once, but that's what this year ended up being, and here we are in the middle of a pandemic, you wouldn't think that this was the year, but I am really, really excited about these these two new roles. The first is that I am chairing the Philadelphia Federal Reserve Bank's Economic Community Advisory Council. It's a really great opportunity. It's not the board of the Fed. It's for people who might jump to that conclusion. It's really a council that's made up of private and public sector CEOs and other leaders who advise the Fed on what's happening in their different market sectors. Some of the examples of people who are on this council with me, Tony Allen, who's the president and CEO of Delaware State University. We have Joe Sheets, who's the CEO of Sheets. Yeah. Now, Philadelphians, they may not be as familiar with Sheets. It's a Wawa town here, but Sheets was Southwestern Pennsylvania. And Joe is on the council. We have Angelique Irvin. She is with Clear Align, which is a company that does a lot of defense contracts. Wow. So there, there's this really amazing smattering of, of leaders from the third district within the Fed that all come together and say, hey, this is what's happening in our sector. This is what we're seeing in terms of job growth and 
these are some of the, the factors that are influencing our decisions. And so it's pretty amazing. The role of this council, again, is to give that advice to the Fed, but it's also to talk about and think about how we can leverage all of the amazing data that the Federal Reserve Bank has at its fingertips and to be able to talk about research that the Fed does that can help us and help our communities. So the Federal Reserve Bank in Philadelphia does a lot of work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. They have a lot of pieces that have come out recently about how the recovery from the COVID crisis needs to be done in an equitable way. They also do a lot of work around workforce development, which is a passion of mine. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that we are building the workforce of the future? How do we make sure that workers who need to transition from certain jobs that they may have done in the past have the skill sets and are be able to be matched to the jobs that will be coming next? Mm-hmm. And so again, I would say this opportunity, more than many things I've done in my career, will allow me to make a positive impact on Philadelphia. The second opportunity that I'm moving into this year, I was elected by a group of my peers, other airport directors, and it's all about the aviation industry. I am moving into, well, I guess I am now, the chair of the U.S. Policy Council for Airports Council International North America. That's one of our trade associations. What's significant about this role is, especially in the middle of a crisis, is we have the duty, and it's not just me as the chair, it's really everyone on the council, to Mm -hmm. take a look at what's happening legislatively in Washington, actions that will impact airports, and then on the regulatory side, and make recommendations. So what kinds of legislation would be helpful to airports? Our biggest priority right now is to get additional federal aid. Mm -hmm. We've had, we've been really fortunate to receive two sets of grants to help us. But in Philadelphia, as an example, we're still 70% down in terms of passengers. So said a different way, just to, to bring this home, we are serving less than a third of the passengers that we served in 2019 right now. And so our finances are very stressed. And really, the reason that that we're able to survive is because of that federal aid. The U.S. Policy Council helps to advise ACI North America in putting together recommendations and taking that to Congress and telling the story. Really, really important work. Some of the other stuff on the regulatory side is equally important. With the Biden administration, there's a new executive order on mask wearing in the airport. In the aviation community, we've been asking for a mask wearing policy since the pandemic started. We think that we need to be able to show guests and travelers, that it's the same kind of experience that you're going to have in Philadelphia, you're going to have at any other airport, that we're safe, that we're clean, that it's okay to take a trip if you need to take a trip. Well, that policy has come out, but it's been interesting. The TSA uh, recently issued a security directive talking about how that policy is to be implemented. Mm -hmm. That's great too, but the policy council is talking about how we might be able to tighten up that security directive and make it really work for airports and the TSA and ultimately the guests. Beautiful. And congratulations. We're all so excited for you. Thanks. I personally am really excited, but I think this is really good for the airport too. As we've gone through the pandemic, and Flo, you've heard me say this before, but I think that the infrastructure, the airport, what it represents to the community is so incredibly important. I'm sorry to say I've seen airlines come and go in my career. 
TWA, Northwest, you know, let's talk about some of the airlines that are no longer around. But the airports, especially those that serve major metropolitan areas, are still there. We need to make sure that we're making smart decisions about investing in their future to make sure that we are able to connect, again, we say connect Philadelphia with the world. Every community can say the same kind of thing. Airports are absolutely vital to their economic stability and economic and possibility for economic growth. There's, and when you think about airports that are in rural communities, in many cases, my, my husband grew up in Montana. There are places in Montana that you would have to drive for eight or nine hours to get to the next major metropolitan city. Those airports provide an absolutely critical role to connect those folks to the rest of the country and to the world. That's a wonderful point. Thank you, Shelley. On the note of the importance of airports to their communities. I wanted to talk to you about your focus areas for the airport coming up. Things are a little bit different since before the pandemic, and we've made a lot of really important and aggressive decisions to help us grow and recover from here. So um, could you tell me more about that? We had a strategic plan. Our strategic plan is still good. Yep. It's just not the right time for a lot of things that are in that plan to move forward. So what we did, and I'm going to use an overused word, but we really had to pivot. We had to take a look at what was most important in our plan, hone it down to what is absolutely most important for this moment. So we we settled on three pillars that are really guiding our work forward right now. The first is, is all about the people. We need to make sure that we keep everybody safe that we treat everybody equitably. And that's not just our employees, but it's our stakeholders, it's our guests. And we need to make sure that that we stay together and, and come together as a community and look to each other for success as we come out of this pandemic. Definitely. One of the things I'll give an example. So you wouldn't think that in the middle of a pandemic, we would be doing things like starting a guest experience council, but we had done all the homework. We had hired a couple of folks We had done all of the planning for what that council needed to look like. And so a couple months into the pandemic, we said, you know what, we need to just go. And so we brought together all of our stakeholders at the airport. So think airlines and the concession operators and all of the the passenger services contractor, all of the different folks that it really takes to make sure that our guests have a great experience. And everybody jumped in with both feet. And, and we are able to take a look at not some of the fancy programs that we were thinking about initially, but really, are we doing the right things for the moment to make sure that our guests have what they need to have a good experience through our airport? Awesome. Second pillar was, was really all about the business. Mm-hmm. So right, people first, and then it's the business. Do we have the flights to the places where people want to go? We've lost about 30% of our nonstop destinations. And we really wanted to find a way to bring that business back to the airport. Do we have a number of seats? Are we able to grow with new carriers and grow our cargo operations? So Mm -hmm. it was all about the business. We started an incentive program for airlines to try to entice them to come back to Philadelphia first. It was the first of that kind of program in the industry. And it really has, has proven to be very successful for us. Third pillar is all about the finances. You can imagine if we're down 70%, our finances are, are really in a stressed position, as I said before. And so our third pillar is what can we do to make sure that we're looking at managing our expenditures first 
and then trying to generate additional and new revenue streams second. So the fourth pillar is about how we recover. So under the leadership of our Chief Administrative Officer, Soledad Alfaro, she brought together a cross-functional team that is looking at technology, innovative ways to do our existing business, all of those sorts of things so that we can recover quicker and better. And, you know, I have to stop and say, Flo, that I really feel that during times like this, it's so important for us to not just look to the past and how we did things before, mm -hmm. but to really, this is an opportunity for us to reinvent ourselves yes. in, in small and in large ways. And if we think that what we did before is going to take us through and out the other end of this crisis, I, I, I think that we'd be mistaken. We have to look at different ways that we can organize ourselves, how we can deliver services to the guests, how we can delight them as they come through our facility, even in the middle of a pandemic. So that last pillar, I think, is, is really one of the most critical ones. And it's how do we look at things that we can do to recover? I'll give you an example of that. You know, during a pandemic, folks, especially early on, nobody wanted to touch anything, right? Remember, yeah. it was everything was was just and, and we're doing that too. We, we purchase those Clorox 360 machines. We disinfect the airport. Our cleanings are up. The airport's never looked better. But what we realized is it went beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so think about if it's your first experience through Philadelphia International Airport and you don't know where you're going. Well, we have customer service representatives that you can talk to, but some folks didn't even want to get that close to other people. And so what we're doing is, is looking at deploying technology and kiosk where people can get the information that they need to find out where they need to go or to find out what might be open that day. So again, thinking differently is really going to be the key to success in, in the middle of this pandemic. Totally agree, Shelly. And it's funny, I've had, had a chance to drop in on some of the conversations they're having in the transition and recovery team. And I have to say, as a compliment to you and the leadership team, it feels a little bit like Shark Tank sometimes. And it's very exciting to see that all ideas are welcome. We're able to test and learn. And that level of innovation is very unique for this kind of environment. And infrastructure is not known for being the most daring but here we are, you know, it's a time of disruption and it's time to try new, th new things. So thank you for en enabling that type of thinking here. Oh, listen, don't thank me. I'll go back to the first pillar. It's the employees yeah. and bringing folks in the room and saying, take away all of your preconceived thoughts mm -hmm. and there is no bad idea. Let's just, let's just start thinking through what we might be able to do. They're amazing. The yeah. things that they've come up with, again, third pillar, finances, right? So mm -hmm. it's not like we have a, a huge bucket of money sitting on the side that we can use to pay for all of these things that, that we're doing. So they were actually not just innovative, but they were able to come up with ideas to do it in a really cost-effective way. And that's, the, that's our employees. That's the advantage of having really experienced, dedicated, smart people on the team. We really do. You're absolutely right. So Shelly, we've had a chance to look at what the immediate recovery looks like for PHL, but when, I, when you think back to March of 2020 and you look at the future, are there any ways that you think about the way this started and where you see the airport going from here? One of the things that COVID has done for us, and you and I have talked about this, is it really makes you take a couple steps back and reflect. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've started to say, and it, it just resonates with me, and I think a lot of other people too, if I could go back and talk to my March or April self, what would I tell her? 
And the kinds of things that, that pop into my mind immediately are, Shelly, get ready for the long haul. This is not something that's going to be over in a couple months. I mean, when this started, we were all talking like, oh, yeah, well, the summer will hit and we'll be fine. You know, the virus will die off like the flu. And you know, there, there were just so many things that we didn't know. And I think you really have to go back and, and question the things that you thought, not just at, at distinct points, but is this really what is going on? Is this really the right premise? Is this really the right decision? And, and you know what? Sometimes we made decisions for all the right reasons a few months ago that are not the right decisions today. An example is we did a forecast early on for budget purposes for the city. We had to go and testify before city council to talk about how we thought our budget would change mm-hmm. given the COVID crisis. Well, we, we testified in May and our forecast in May is not what our forecast was when we sold bonds later in the fall it was a lot worse than what we thought it would be in May. And so I, I just think it's it's really important to understand that it's okay to rethink all of your plans. It's okay to know that you made mistakes yep. and that you need to change course. That's not necessarily how people are taught to lead. You're taught to be decisive. You're taught you need to project that you know what's going on. Well, well you do, but I think it's also really important, especially in a situation that we've never seen before, to be able to take a couple steps back and say, yeah, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I had to rethink this. And, and now we need to take a little bit of a different direction. So you asked about the future. I think the biggest thing that we're doing for the future right now is that we restarted our airport master planning process. And that's a really big deal for an airport taking a look at all of the infrastructure, all the buildings, the runways, the roadways, making sure that everything works together and that we are appropriately planning, not just for today, not just for 10 years from now, but for 30 years from now. It's a hard thing to do in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) But I think it's something that we have to do because what some airports have done over time is made long-term decisions that ultimately didn't give enough flexibility to change when the business model changed. And what we are trying to do right now with our airport master planning process is to make sure that we very thoughtfully plan what comes next. So let me give you an example. When you think about this pandemic, the need for personal space in airports is even more important. We are rethinking how we do our restrooms. That's a specific capital project, but it's, it's ultimately informing how we do the whole master plan process. And what we're looking at are things like, are there ways to expand the footprint of our restroom so that people can be socially distanced mm-hmm. and we can design the restrooms to, to address not just this pandemic, but any kind of infectious disease that would come down the pike. Are we doing, and, and we're thinking about how that's informed that project and then blending that in to the master plan as we think about our facilities for the future. So really, really interesting. Another area that's changing significantly is how people get to and from the airport. We've seen over the last number of years, Uber and Lyft and transportation network companies have really changed the ground transportation side of our business. Well, we think the pandemic might be changing that as well. Do we need as much parking as we have before? Do we need more parking? How do we handle the different ways that people are going to come to and from the airport? And, and so I think it's a really exciting moment to be able to taking on that really important work. 
our deputy director for capital programs, Api Apolingam, has a great team and a great set of consultants that are leading us through that work. That's fantastic. And I love learning about how resilience works um, in real time. Something you said to me, Shelley, when the pandemic started that really sticks with me now is, you know, you asked, well, you know, how old are you? What, what part of your career are you in? And when I told you, you said, this is such an incredible thing to have under your belt. You can, you can do anything after this. And you shared that when you were my age, you were at MWA, Metropolitan Washington Authority, Airport Authority, and you were there during 9-11. And so that kind of context, I think, helps young leaders understand, you know, this isn't the end of the world. You're going to learn a lot from this experience, and then you're going to be able to take that forward with you. So um, definitely important to learn at this time. You so, remember that conversation. It was really important to me. It, it definitely was. I wanted to close out the episode by going, circling back to you, Shelly, and all the things that make you interesting and unique. And so I would love to learn one thing that people might be surprised to learn about you that they might not know? I think especially a lot of people in Philadelphia might be surprised to know that I've never lived in a city before. Philadelphia is the first time that I lived within city limits. And when I first took the position, I leased an apartment because I wasn't really sure that I was going to like the city. And I wasn't so sure the city was going to like me either. So, you know, you, you kind of hedge your bets. But I I leased an apartment in South Philly and it was all on street parking and, you know, garbage collection just once a day and and just all of the, all of the things that I had never really dealt with in, in my life before living on an air force base, you know, what that life is like, or, you know, living in the suburbs in Washington, DC, or growing up in a small town. It was just really not something I thought about, but I've actually grown to, to love the city and South Philadelphia in particular, my mom would say, you know, what's it like? And I, I told her, I said, you know, I feel like I always have about a thousand eyes on me. You know, there's so many people and they're, they're always watching. And at first it was a little weird. It was like, wow, there's a lot of people who are really watching everything that you do. There was, I had a neighbor in South Philly who stopped me within my first few weeks of moving into the apartment. And, and he said, who are you? I, I said, my name's Shelly Cameron and I work at the airport and I just moved into, he said, I know where you live. I want to know who you are. You're in my neighborhood now. Mm -hmm. And ultimately became someone that I talked to every night when I came home, he would sit out on his stoop. I learned how to call it a stoop. Mm -hmm. And, and he would, he was someone that would, would just share his day with me. Mm -hmm. And I very quickly changed from thinking, oh my gosh, there are all these people that are just watching to, Mm -hmm. yeah, there are a lot of people watching it's a real neighborhood and it's a real community. And again, I I really fell in love with the place. Our head uh, general counsel at MWAM when I left, Phil Sunderland gave me a book as a going away gift and it was called A Prayer for the City. Mm -hmm. And it was all about the first Rendell administration. And it really gave me a lot of insight into how the city works. And it just really, really kind of interesting how my personal experience paralleled some of the things that I read in the book. I have to get my hands on that book because it sounds great. I've, I've not learned all of the Philly history yet, and I think that would be wonderful. So on that note, as we talk about books, I was wondering if, you know, is that a passion of yours? Is this something that you do on a regular basis? Oh, I read all the time. I often turn to books, like I said, about Philadelphia, about other things that really help me understand what I'm going through or a place that I'm visiting or things that, that I'm struggling with in my life. And an example is in 2019, I read the book Shogun 
because we were working really hard on trying to secure a nonstop flight from Philadelphia to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And that helped me to understand some pieces of Japanese culture that I, I really truly didn't understand. And, you know, again, it's a fictional account. Not everything is 100% accurate, but it, it taught me things like how the Japanese are able to live with so many people so close together, yet remain privacy, yet maintain their sense of privacy and individualism and how that's very important as, a, as part of the culture. Some books that I've read this past year is we've dealt with all of the pandemic issues. On top of that, we had the murder of George Floyd, with, which kicked off a lot of discussion about race and equity and inclusion and what we do in the business world and in our personal lives. So again, I turned to books to help me understand things that I didn't know that I felt like I should know to, to try to understand some of the things that people were feeling that again, I just didn't see before. And so a couple of books that I read, fiction, one was called The Vanishing Half. Another book was called Valentine. And I also read a nonfiction book that, that was, was very instrumental in, in my understanding. And it was called Cast, The Origins of Our Discontent. So I'm going to make sure I get that title right. But very, and those are just three. I read 32 books last year. <laughs> and really just a way for me in some ways to escape in a fictional story. Not all of my books were heavy reads, sure. but again, it's also a way for me to help understand the world around me and the things that I'm feeling and, and seeing that I, I may not understand as well as I, I should or could. You'll have to excuse me. I, I kind of laughed when you said you'd read 32 books this year because I just don't understand where you find the time. Um, I, I tweeted about this the other day. I said, you know, my CEO has been telling me about books she reads. How do you fit in the time to do that in addition to your schedule? You don't have to sit and read for hours to, to read books, although I do that too. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of times will read for 30 minutes before I go to bed just to wind down to stop my head from thinking about all of the things that, that were going on in the office, as an example. There are also times, and I'll tell my husband, and Paul will say, you know, hey, listen, this is going to be a reading Saturday. And, and he laughs and he's like, okay, you know, oh. you know, like, we'll go to the grocery store tomorrow and I'll just, I'll sit and I'll read for an hour and then get up and walk around and then go and sit and read for another hour. And there are times that when I find that I'm, I'm immersed in a good story, hours will go by and, and I don't even know it. So it's, it's little moments and, and pieces of time that I find in the evening mm -hmm. and on the weekends that, that really have allowed me to do that. Well, you know, remember, I don't have children at home like you do to, I wonder, I, you know, it's no wonder that you're saying, how do I find time to read? I know you do a lot of reading and you have a family to take care of. It's just Paul and myself. And so it's a little easier to find the time. No, I totally appreciate that. But I think anyone can make the time using the kind of method that you shared. And the other reason I find this so interesting is because it teaches you really about the habits of executives, you know, the different ways that they do time management and cope with stress and reading really encompasses all of that. So thank you for sharing. We love to hear about the personal you, the, the Shelly behind, the, behind the, the mic and behind the camera, right? Um, you're our lead person who represents the airport, and I'd love to learn more about you. So thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. It's always great to talk to you. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that you have made us a better place. Your professionalism and the things that you've done with our communications department have just been amazing. So thank you. 
I appreciate it, Shelly. Thank you so much. Shelly, everyone at PHL has been working so hard to ensure a safe recovery process at PHL for both our employees and passengers. On behalf of Team PHL, I just want to thank you so much for your leadership, hard work, and dedication. I look forward to future episodes of Taking Off, where you will interview members of the PHL team as we continue on the road to recovery. To learn more about the recovery steps at Philadelphia International Airport, please visit phl.org newsroom. I'm Flo Brown. Thank you for listening.